This is Oklahoma football. All right, we're back. Welcome to another 2021 edition, first one of the new year episode of the Main Live Podcast. Tyler Burton, proud to be joined uh, once again by Adam Jacquez. First new episode of the new year. Um, like I said, a lot of different things to, to to dive into today. A lot of things have been happening in the world of college football. It's been, honestly, Adam, probably what, close to, what, three, four weeks since we've done one of these. There's been a lot of travel, holiday season going on, a lot of different different moving pieces so but it's uh nice to be back with you man we got a lot to talk about yeah for sure it's been a strange little uh into the year for ou you know everyone and us included talked about would it be better to just win a big bowl game which that was a really fun game to beat florida but from a recruiting standpoint feels like we're in a very similar standpoint to where we were about a year ago when we lost a five-star quarterback and it seemed like the sky was falling and we've got guys going to the draft early. So uh, very interesting time uh, as we go into a pretty big uh, upcoming season where we have some high expectations for OU. Yeah, I mean, OU wins their sixth straight Big 12 championship, knocking off Iowa State, going to a New Year's Six Bowl, um, who I know a lot of OU fans, you know, not, not us here at this podcast, we always want to uh, have our team in a position to to play for and compete for a championship. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a chance to do that this year. OU didn't deserve to uh, because of the two early season losses. Although right now, um, judging by that, you know, that beat down that they put out against Florida, I mean, fi- find me two or three teams in America right now that are playing better football than OU right now. So, uh, but no, it's, it's just been kind of a, kind of a crazy end of the year. OU does, you know, knock off Florida by, by five touchdowns, kind of sends it into a, uh, the off season right now where you're dealing with players on the roster that are opting out. Some guys are declaring for the NFL draft. Um, we're kind of in a wait and see mode on a couple other guys, Ronnie Perkins, uh, definitely from all the indications out there, kind of seems like he is going to be putting his name, uh, out there and declaring for the NFL draft. So definitely a lot to talk about as we kind of recap the, the 2020 season for the Oklahoma Sooners, a year that was full of, you know, full of highs, full of lows. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, start out the year, every single season, you want to, you want to put yourself in a position to win a big 12 championship. And despite the two early season losses, uh, Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley, they figured out a way to do that. So, um, Adam, just kind of, you, you know, just kind of, I guess we can kind of divide it into, you know, two separate parts of the season. You know, the first three games where OU kind of got off to a shaky start, you know, they, they knocked off an FCS team in Missouri State, but then they lose the first two games of Big 12 play, you know, here at home against Kansas State, then on the road in Ames against Iowa State. And boy, did they flip the switch. So just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what your impressions were for the, the 2021 season and, or excuse me, the 2020 season and what your big takeaways were. Yeah, it, I uh, typed that myself earlier today, 2021, just thinking about I've written what I'm going to go to I've next year. Like so. Four or five times on a sheet of paper, 2020. So got to get that fixed. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, overall, um, I was really, I think like every OU fan was really low, really down on the team after those first two losses. Uh, but then as the season went on, they turned it around and they really set themselves up uh, incredibly well for for this upcoming season, uh, which is the longest offseason in sports that I know of. I don't think that there's any other sport that has a longer offseason than college football. But um, but yeah, they're setting themselves up well. And I think maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later in the podcast as well. But they should have a great chance to at least win their first semifinal game after this season and 
And a lot of that was because of the development of younger guys this year with Spencer Radler, Marvin Mims, uh, and then a lot of key pieces really uh, exploding onto the scene on the defensive side of the ball. You feel confident in a guy like Isaiah Thomas now and Woody Washington and David Aguebu looks like he's going to really take another leap again in this offseason. So I think they did everything that they, they needed to to put themselves in a position to win a championship for a year in 2021 that Sooner fans have been looking forward to for quite a while now, seeing that the stars might align. It was definitely a tale of two halves for this season. Like I said, you know, starting out one and two on the year, you lose that second conference game up in Ames just, you know, three weeks into the year in an era where there is a global pandemic going on. You're getting COVID tested three times a week. You lose your second game of the year and national championship hopes are, are out the window. You know, this this football team could have easily thrown in the towel. Players could have decided we want to opt out. We don't want to do this anymore. Um, for the time being, it doesn't look like any of the goals that we set out to to achieve this year doesn't look like they're attainable. Um, but again, credit Lincoln Riley and the staff they did. They they you know they righted the ship um, going into that OU Texas game the next weekend to to pull off a four overtime basically game for the ages in that rivalry. Getting a win down in the Cotton Bowl, I thought that was tremendous. And then OU gets on a run. It kind of seems like what they've done the last four or five years lose a game or two early on, and then they start playing their best football uh, to round out the later half of the season. And, I mean, just just lo- looking at the the progression and the improvement that the team made, you know, all the young guys getting, some, getting you know, rotationed in there, being able to play some snaps, and then you inject Ramondre Stevenson back into the lineup against Texas Tech. And, it, and that, that was finally, I think, the first game where OU fans were able to finally see this offense firing on, on all cylinders and really get OU fans really, really excited about what this offense can be, you know, going into 2021 with Spencer Rattler coming back and some of the skill guys that we've got out on the perimeter. And then moving, you know, moving on further into the year, I mean, you get a guy like Ronnie Perkins back, you know, I think he was what, one of the top two or three candidates for preseason, all Big 12 defender, Um, get him back, throw him into that starting lineup on the defensive line, probably the best overall unit on this football team for 2020. Um, I thought Calvin Thibodeau did a Absolutely fantastic job kind of molding that group. Some guys that were kind of forced to grow up with Ronnie Perkins' absence. You throw Perry on Winfrey in there, the impact that he had right up there in the middle at the nose tackle position. I thought he was fantastic. And, dude, they, I mean, they, it, just, it just all clicked. Uh, OU found their groove right there at the very end of the year, dominating Oklahoma State, closing out the season, beating uh, a really well-coached, really well-talented, highly talented football team in Iowa State. Matt Campbell, you know you know how I feel about him. I think he's a fantastic coach. And um, I don't care what the Florida Gators said. They've got four-star, five-star kids uh, in the two and three deep on that roster. Um, sure, it would have been nice to face them at full strength. But, I mean, I'll, I'll take a five-touchdown win against the SEC runner-up any day of the week. So, But, dude, like you said, high expectations are, are going to be uh, placed uh, on the Sooners right here in Norman going into 2021. And we'll we'll touch on that here in just a little bit. But um, kind of want to hand out some awards, Adam, you know, kind of recapping the season, ha- handing out some some hardware to some different guys. Uh, we've got offensive MVP, defensive MVP, who was our most improved player of the team this year, play of the year and coach of the year. So, Adam, starting on the uh, offensive side of the football, Who'd you have for your offensive most valuable player for the 2020 Oklahoma Sooners? Yeah, initially I had thought Marvin Mims uh, simply because he felt like the most consistent guy in in almost every game this year and uh, did more than what was asked of him. But I think from a most valuable perspective, I had to go with Ramondre Stevenson, 
even though he only played the last, I guess, the latter half of the season. And mainly because he just changed the dynamic of, of pretty much every game that he was in. He was a little bit quiet in a couple games here and there, but for the most part, just him being on the field uh, allowed Spencer Rattler to operate a little more freely, uh, helped us to really milk the clock late in games. And that's a big reason that a lot of people look back at that Iowa State and that Kansas State loss and think, and we should have won that if we'd had Ramondre, we would have won. And I, I don't think that they're wrong. I, I have to agree with them because of the way that he can run the ball and, uh, and just power through a defense, even if the offensive line isn't clicking uh, on all cylinders. It's crazy to think looking back at it now, we can play the what if, you know, what if game as, as many times as we want to, but you really have to sit back and think, what could this OU team possibly have achieved this year if you would have had Ramondre, Trajan Bridges, Ronnie Perkins at, you know, part of this team for the entirety of the season? I'm not sure they're on the same level quite yet as an Alabama. This Alabama football team this year is. I mean, outstanding. We saw LSU's offense last year. I mean, Alabama's almost on the same elite level as what we're seeing uh, fr from the Tigers last year. But no, I, I think Ramondre Stevenson, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, he was a guy that I didn't give it to simply just because he didn't play the full season. But I mean, you, you can't argue with the fact that once he got inserted back into the lineup for the Sooners, that offense, you know, they found their groove. Lincoln Riley was dialing things up. And I thought Ramondre, he carried the load. And I mean, Honestly, what a way to go out, dude. I mean, almost 200 yards against Florida in the in the Cotton Bowl, big time when that was. And obviously hate to see him go uh, as he declared for the NFL draft earlier this week. But, Adam, seeing, seeing Ramondre declare, and obviously we did get some good news, you know, just a few days ago, Kennedy Brooks is, is going to be coming back for OU next year. Ramondre leaving, does that leave you feeling, you know, optimistic about the running back room going into 2021? Kind of, you know, some uh, – uh, uneasiness or kind of what, what are your thoughts about what DeMarco Murray is going to have to do going into next year? Yeah, just knowing that Kennedy Brooks is a multi-season thousand yard rusher helps me feel a lot better and thinking that one of Seth McGowan or Marcus Major is going to take a, a next step. Uh, that makes me feel a lot better, but also knowing that Spencer Rattler is going to be in his second season as a starter. So we won't have to rely as much on the running game. I think we still should, but we won't. It won't be as big of a piece. Uh, I guess is something that we might be concerned about. Uh, and then also thinking about how the offensive line should be in better shape. I know that they got hit a little bit harder at the beginning of the year with COVID and tracing and things like that. So um, they should be in a in much better position to succeed and, and open up lanes for anybody that's running behind them uh, going into uh, next season. Absolutely. And speaking of next season, I think a guy that, you know, the, the, the expectations are already being thrown out there. He's listed as the, uh, the front runner, the best odds to win the Heisman trophy next season, my offensive MVP, I'm going with Spencer Rattler. Um, I, I thought early on in the year against Missouri state, he showed the arm talent, wasn't against the best competition, but you could see right out of the box that he was, ex you know, he was, he was exactly what was advertised coming out of high school and then struggled a little bit against, you know, Kansas state, Iowa state, um, and in that first half against Texas, one playing his best football, Lincoln, who probably that was the coaching move, the best coaching move of the year, uh, deciding to sit Spencer down for a couple series, starting back out the second half. And uh, I thought from there on out, you know, he he didn't look back whatsoever. I thought he was the best quarterback uh, in the Big 12 this year. You would know that by looking at the All-Conference teams, getting honorable mention. Um, we we can we can talk about that a, a lot later in the off season. I mean, my my God. 
um, throwing him behind, you know, Brock Purdy. You know, we we all saw that debate get settled in the in the Big Twelve championship game, and kind of seems like Sam Ellinger got that second team kind of based on a uh, career achievement award. But uh, no, Spencer Rattler, I thought I thought he was outstanding. I thought he played you know tremendous football, especially down the stretch. Put up a really good performance against uh, against Oklahoma State, against Iowa State in the Big 12 championship and closing it out against Florida. And Adam, it was just fun to see the progression of this kid. You know, early on in the year, he was a little bit shaky, kind of had happy feet in the pocket. We all know that the arm talent was there, and he was really kind of relying on that arm to kind of bail him out of situations when he was putting himself in harm's way. But as we saw him progress throughout the year, he became became more confident, became more comfortable in the system. He was taking what the defense was giving him. And honestly, dude, we, we saw the stat that got put out, you know, at the conclusion of the year. He had 10... What was it? Ten or eleven passes, uh, touchdown passes dropped. So as good as his numbers were this season, they could have been so much better. And like we said, uh, he he's the, there's a reason why this kid is uh, you know the projected Heisman Trophy winner uh, for for next year. So it, it's going to be a big off season for Spencer, um, having a sp- having the ability to go through a spring ball, a full summer workout. Uh, and then a full normal fall camp, hopefully, to kind of get back in seek with those skill guys that we've got out on the uh, out on the edge at the wide receiver position. So Spencer Rattler, uh, it, it was an easy call for me. I, I give him my offensive MVP. Uh, Adam, let's throw it over to the other side of the ball. Who'd you have on defense? Defense was another tough call for me. I ended up having to go with Nick Benito. Uh, he was just a constant pressure the entire season. Eight and a half sacks. 11 QB hurries, 11 tackles for loss. I think uh, pro football focus had him listed incredibly high on just disrupting the pocket and pressuring the quarterback. And so uh, Ronnie Perkins might be the best defensive lineman on the team, but he was really the uh, Nick Benito having the entire year to, to put up those stats. And the defense looked fairly solid even before Perkins came back in a lot of situations. So uh, credit to Benito for just being an absolute monster off the edge all year. Yeah, I, I like I said, just like what we talked about with Spencer Rattler, the potential that he has, Nick Benito next year. I mean, give him another offseason in his belt to get bigger, stronger, faster in the weight room. Can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do off the edge. Um, I, I wanted to go with Ronnie Perkins simply because of the fact that it seems like as well as the OU defense was playing the first half of the season, getting him back in the lineup, he transformed not just the play on the field by that defense, but it kind of seemed like the mindset and that the energy level and that aggression that, that we saw uh this speed d close out the year with but uh for me i went with isaiah thomas you you know i i think that he was ou's best defensive player all year long had eight sacks on the season the jump he made from last year to this year i don't don't know if many people saw it coming he was ou's best uh defensive lineman and like we said give him another year uh with benny wiley get let him get bigger put a little bit more size on uh another year to kind of you know find you know find fine tune his craft uh, I, I cannot wait to see what Isaiah Thomas is going to be. I think it was a big thing, not just for uh, OU to get Nick Benito back, but also Isaiah Thomas, especially since it kind of seems like we're going to be losing Ronnie Perkins to the NFL. Um, but and a- Adam, n- next award that I kind of want to hand out here is the most improved player on this on this football team, and I'll I'll just kind of start it out. I'm staying on the defensive side of the football. Um, coming into the year, a, a lot of uncertainty what, what this defense was going to look like at the linebacker position. Um, losing Kenneth Murray a year ago, kind of that alpha dog, the the leader of this football team for the last two or three years. I went with Brian Osamoa. I thought that you know last year he he got some run. 
at the Mike linebacker position. I thought that he played well in spurts. There were a couple, you know, couple uh, instances last year where he would get lost in coverage or he would fill the wrong gap, you know, in the running game. But this year, I mean, he he was a completely different player. He was he was you know tackled well in space fit the run gaps, played uh, exceptionally well in coverage. We saw him uh, with an interception uh, in to close out the game uh, against Florida a couple weeks ago, and he's he's so athletic, dude. And um, like I said, Brian Osamoa, I'm giving him most improved player uh, for the 2020 season. I can't wait to see what he's going to do going into next fall. Yeah, it was pretty exciting to see him get that interception against Florida and uh, he's a guy that has flashed quite a bit in the couple of years that he's been on campus, and I'm pumped to see what he can do um, going into next year as well. Uh, for for my most improved, I had to go with Trey Norwood. He didn't play a whole lot in the first couple of games, mainly because I think the coaches were giving some other guys some some more run. And then once he had the opportunity, uh, he really made a big impact. Uh, five interceptions on the year, and was just you know really what Alex Crinch has been preaching the entire time he's been at OU is get turnovers, turnovers, win us games, essentially. And so he was really the embodiment of that in the renaissance, really, for the defense as a whole in creating more and more turnovers. He was the leader of that pack. So um, most improved goes to him. You know, that's not something we saw uh, him able to do in 2017 and 2018 when he had played. Uh, So big props to him for that. A little bit questionable uh, I guess would be the nicest way to say it as far as his decision to go to the draft early especially considering that all the tape he has is two disastrous years in 17 and 18 on on that defense on those defenses and then really only half a season this year of pretty exceptional play but nothing that will blow you know anybody away as far as uh, his ability so um, hopefully he has a long NFL career and we all look like idiots for questioning him but Certainly, a strange decision uh, on his part. I don't think you can. I don't think by any means necessary you can question the the talent and the production that OU got out of him this year. He was kind of their ball hawk DB in the secondary, and it, as good as he was this year, I knew coming into the season we were probably going to lose Trey Brown to the NFL. And but waking up that day and seeing you know seeing the notification pop up that Trey Nor was declaring for the NFL draft, it was kind of a kind of a what the hell what the heck moment like I, I didn't see that coming whatsoever I figured you know he's he doesn't have much tape on film as far as um, you know good quality football he's been he was kind of inconsistent especially uh, during the first year or two of the, uh, the playing under Mike Mike Stoops thank, thank God he's out of the way uh, but see, kind of seeing him progress and the way that he grew up in this Alex Grinch speed D scheme I thought he was a guy that could have used one more year to maybe raise his draft stock any higher. But, I mean, it, it's not for us to question the kid. You know, he did go through an ACL tear. Um, he was kind of, you know, um, COVID kind of had its impact on him with the contact tracing. So, uh, wish nothing but the best for Trey. Wish he was going to be spending 2021 here in Norman. Um, but we're, we're going to be cheering him on. And I, I I don't know if he's going to get drafted just just based on the size and and, and, and athletic ability that, that we saw on Tay. But, like I said, hopefully he can test well at the Combine. and. Um, Regardless, I think somebody's going to be getting a steal if they take a chance on Trey Norwood. So, um, Adam, play of the year. Start us off with this one. I we're I, uh, we're actually uh, looks like we're in the same game on this one. Two different plays, but what was the what was the play of the year for this OU football team? For me, it's the Austin Stogner touchdown catch in the first overtime against Texas, and the reason I chose that play, uh, for one, it's 
pretty high difficulty. I mean, Stogner is a big dude, but Spencer Rattler really threaded a needle and put it in a spot where only Stogner could get it. And so I guess both of them on that play really contributing to uh, what I felt like was a real momentum, uh, I guess, stopper on Texas's end, but a starter for OU. Because if we go back to the OU-Texas matchup, uh, the fourth quarter, the air really, you know, went out of that uh, of that OU offense. And it wasn't until Stogner caught that touchdown, I believe it was maybe on second and long or third and long. And it really kind of changed the dynamic of the game, you know, in a sense of, okay, now the offense is back. Spencer Radler is back because he had been benched earlier in the game and um, they really hadn't asked him to do a whole lot in the second half. And so I think that was kind of the turning point maybe of the entire season where, okay, now, now we've got Radler to be the five-star that he is and, and using a, you know, our, our advantages and a guy like Stogner who's six, 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 seven. Um, and so I think that's really what, what spurred on that win and then in turn the rest of the season. Yeah, I c- couldn't agree with you more. I'm going to stay in this same game as well, the cot- at the uh, Cotton Bowl. Uh, Cotton Bowl, my goodness, OU Texas. Uh, I'm going to fast forward to the fourth overtime with the uh, Trey Brown interception of Sam Ellinger. And the reason why I think that this was the play of the year, um, I kind of touched on a little bit earlier in the podcast where – you you start the year off one and two. More importantly, you start Big Twelve Conference play zero oh and two, and you're you're in a position right now to where you you blew a double digit lead against your arch rival down in Dallas, where uh, very easily this football team could have been sitting at one and three if if somebody didn't make a play. But the fact that Trey Brown, big play Trey, makes another critical big time play against Sam Ellinger in this game, sealing the win for OU propelling them to a 2-2 two and two record, and, and OU never looked back. So Trey Brown, another big play in this OU Texas robbery. Um, I, I thought that that was the play of the, play of the year for, for Oklahoma. And uh, honestly, Adam, I don't know where we, we would be sitting uh, January 8th, 2021, if OU doesn't win that game, what we would be talking about. So uh, hats off to Trey Brown, fantastic play. Excited to see what he's going to do at the next level. So, Adam, let's kind of round it out here. Coach of the year. Uh, on this staff for Lincoln Riley. You can go offense, defense. You can go with the head ball coach, Lincoln Riley. Um, Who's the coach of the year for for 2020? Got to give this one to Alex Grinch. Uh, You know, the defense as a whole took a big step in 2019, but in 2020, it felt like, you know, this is this unit this year, I think was was good enough, um, you know, to to get us a maybe a national championship. Uh, if the offense had been fully there the entire year and and the compliment had been there. Um, maybe I'm being a little bit too biased, but uh, I think that the defense was was really close. And it really took, I think, a lot of mental fortitude, uh, you know, into the players to get past those early two losses where against Kansas State and against Iowa State, we talked about it here on the podcast back then, we were probably four or five plays away in each game from really blowing out either of those teams. Now, against both of them, well coached. They play really hard. They have, you know, some uh, some players that are really lunch pail guys that that make you really work for it. But man, just a few missed tackles, you know, one missed assignment, pass coverage, and this OU team would have been in the playoffs and probably undefeated. And so that's how close they were. But I think the ability by Alex Grinch to keep guys focused and to not let that snowball and to turn back into, a, oh, you know, here goes 2018 and 2020 again. 
Uh, I think that that says a lot about what he's been able to do and the amount of attention that he has from his players um, in enabling them to uh, reach those new heights that they have in these past couple of years. Yeah, I, I'm going to stay on that same side of the football. And like, like you said, o, OU's defense was was dominant this year in year two. I mean, they finished what with the the, the 15th ranked total defense in the country. Um, where where was that at the last you know three or four years when we had Baker and Kyler uh, playing quarterback? Uh, it's o, OU would probably be in the middle of a dynasty right now if we've had that the last four or five years. But uh, on the defensive side of the football, as well as OU play this year, it, it started up front for me the defensive line. So my coach of the year award is going to go to Cal. And Thibodeau, what, what what that group did, especially without Ronnie Perkins to start the year, Perion Winfrey, a brand new face, Isaiah Thomas taking another leap. We continue we continue to see the new guys, Josh Ellison, Marcus Stripling, Corey Roberson. It was nice seeing him back out there. He flashed, you know, it made multiple plays throughout the year. Uh, Jordan Kelly, I thought that the defensive line. The, the depth that is being built in that room right now is a testament to the recruiting efforts that Coach you know Thibodeau has been doing the last two, three years. And then throw Ronnie Perkins back into the mix. And this defense, Adam, I, am I going too far in saying that this was probably, what, the best defensive line in college football this year? Top one, top two? Is that, is that too much of an exaggeration? Because they were, they were fantastic this year. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't watch enough college football to know for sure, but they were certainly top five, especially with the production that, that they had from a sack standpoint. Um, and throw in Jamar Kane too, uh, because he was out there coaching the outside linebackers, which play a big piece in the, the pass rush. So overall, I mean, it's amazing to see that unit turn around from what it was just two years ago to being one of the best in the nation now. Absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, Oklahoma wins their sixth straight Big 12 championship. They win a New Year's Six Bowl in, in dramatic fashion by blowing out Florida. Now we can turn the page and move into the offseason. And what's the first thing that people talk about once we flip the page into the offseason for Oklahoma football? Expectations for 2021. Expectations are the same each and every year. It's championship or bust. Win the Big 12 championship. Go undefeated during the regular season and put yourself in a position where you can compete for a national championship in January. And Adam, even though expectations are like this in Norman every single offseason, I think that 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 expectation level is is being risen to an entirely different level going into 2021. When you look at the guys that OU's got coming back, when you look at Spencer Rattler going into his second year in this system with the Lincoln Riley, the skill guys that they're going to have. Um, we lost Charleston Rambo, obviously, to the transfer portal. I think that I think that there's a better guy that's going to be taking those snaps next year. When you've got Marvin Mims, Austin Stogner, Jaden Hazelwood. Uh, Trajan Bridges, Theo Weiss. I think that the sky is going to be the limit for this passing attack. If we can get some stability uh, in the front five for the offensive line, Bill Beanbow, I think that it was kind of a rough season this year. It was kind of it, it, not so much as though they didn't perform well, but I don't think they lived up to the expectations that were laid upon them prior to the start of the year. But as good as OU is going to be on offense, it's the defense next year that's that's what's got me so excited about. They're going to have eight, nine, ten starters back on that side of the football. 
The depth was already good last th- this year. Uh, you know, one of the things that Alex Grinch likes to do is play two, three guys at each position, rotate them in each and every game, and that's paying dividends as we go into the 2021 season where you're going to have multiple guys at each position with game experience and throw on top of that this 2020 recruiting class that I think's got some really, really good players on the defensive side of the football that I think are going to be able to come in and help immediately uh, for uh, for the speed D. So, like we said, Adam, it's it's championship or bust, and I, I think that OU right now is sitting in the best position they have been going into an offseason to compete, not just compete, not just get to a college football playoff, but put themselves in a position to to win the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Every year, the goal at OU is to win a national championship. And there are some years where that's more realistic than others. <laughs> and so you do have to wear your crimson colored glasses on some of the the years where you're like, I don't know, we've got a new quarterback, whatever, whatever. But um, the goal every year is to win a national championship. Uh, anything less to me is is just not worth talking about because we're OU. We're not Oklahoma State. We're not Texas A&M. We're, we're OU. We win national championships here. That's what our goal is. And so I think the, the you know, everything really aligns for OU going into 2021. Clemson loses their quarterback. They lose uh, Travis Etienne as well. They're going to lose some key pieces. They're still going to be really strong. They're probably going to be in the playoff anyway because the ACC has almost nobody that's going to be able to challenge them, especially with Notre Dame not being in the ACC next year. Uh, Ohio State loses their quarterback. They lose their best receiver. They lose almost all their linebackers. They're going to lose a lot as well, uh, probably Trey Sermon uh, in addition to that. So they're going to be pretty young over there. They may still win the conference uh, as well. Alabama is going to lose pretty much all their skilled players on offense. They're going to lose their best cornerback. They're going to have five stars stepping into those roles. But again, inexperienced players across the board. OU is really in the best position to come in and maybe – Maybe OU gets to the playoffs and we don't see Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State. Maybe we see three totally different teams, USC, Georgia, UNC, whoever. I think that really sets up well for OU to to get in and play some teams that maybe aren't used to being in the playoffs or maybe don't have the type of depth that, that an OU does. So I think it's going to set up really well and uh, maybe, we're, maybe we're only setting ourselves up for disappointment. But again, the goal is to win championships at OU. Uh, we're not trying to do anything else here. It's crazy to think that looking at the four playoff teams that were in the that, that were competing for the championship this year, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, all four of those teams, as good as they are, every single one of them are going to be starting a brand new quarterback for for twenty twenty one. So it, it, again, it does it does bear well or does bode well for Oklahoma uh, having you know Spencer Rattler come back with all the skilled guys, the offensive line. Obviously, they're we're, we're going to ha- hopefully make a splash uh, in the transfer portal. But like you said, sky's the limit. There's so much talent coming back on this OU football team, even though you're not going to have Armandre Stevenson, and it sounds like you're not going to have Ronnie Perkins. But you're getting Kennedy Brooks back at the, at the running back position. Like you said, two one thousand yard seasons. You're getting Jalen Redmond. He's opting back in. And throw him back in there at the defensive line. And like, like I said, another year for, for Isaiah Thomas, another year for Perrion Winfrey, uh, Nick Benito coming off the edge. OU is going to be really, really solid across the board on both sides of the football this year. And like you said, we may not run into a Clemson or an Alabama or an Ohio State. I'm not super sure that there's going to be a team in the Big Ten that can challenge Ohio State, even though they are going to be breaking in new talent that say can be set for Clemson this year. 
But when you look at a look at a team like Georgia, JT Daniels is coming back next year. We know Kirby Smart's going to have a good defense for the Bulldogs uh, up in Athens. Texas A and M, I think, is another one that has built the. I don't think they're they're not quite on the same level yet as the Clemsons, Bamas, and Ohio State's, but they are recruiting at an extremely high level. Jimbo Fisher's bringing in elite talent down to College Station, so they are losing Kellen Mom. It's going to be interesting to see who they break in as a as a new starting quarterback for the Aggies, but they have Isaiah Spiller. They do have that offensive line returning. So uh, watch out for Georgia and Texas A&M. And like I said, it's probably going to be Alabama and Clemson again, but who knows? But a lot of expectations going into this, going into next season. And honestly, dude, we're we're what eight eight months away, seven months, three weeks three days from from kickoff for 2021 and it can't get here fast enough i'm so excited about what this team can be uh going into 2021 yeah i 100% agree and it does really you know put some emphasis on this next segment that that we're bringing up is what positions of need are there out there and how can we fill those because roster management is so different now it's not just recruit and done now we've got all these guys in the portal, and I think this is going to be the craziest year that we see that because everyone is immediately eligible to transfer, whereas uh, next year there will be some guys that have already transferred once. They won't have the, the free transfer available to them. So this year is a little bit crazy, and I think it's really going to test the skills of you know how these coaches are managing these rosters. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, look, looking at uh, you know positions of need that OU needs to make a splash in in the transfer portal, for, for me it starts first and foremost at the offensive tackle position. Losing Adrian Ely to the NFL draft, um, I think a few OU fans were kind of surprised by that decision. Obviously, he's a really good player, and I think that he's going to have a really good NFL career. But a lot of OU fans expected him to stay for at least one more year. You lose out on Tristan Lee, the five-star offensive tackle. Uh, coming out of high school, he ends up going to Clemson. I think he was a lot of he a lot of uh, fans and even OU coaches kind of had him pegged uh, to slide in there and start day one at that offensive tackle position. So you're now in a situation to where not having Adrian Ely, not having that five star elite talent coming in straight out of high school, you need to go out. You need to grab a really solid offensive tackle that can help you day one. Because I know that you're going to have Eric Swenson coming back for his, what is it, fifth, sixth year. He's a solid player. You're going to have Anton Harrison, who I think is, you know, you can go ahead and pencil him in at one of those tackle positions. But you need to go get somebody out of the transfer portal that can come in and help this team out right away. Because honestly, dude, when when you look and see what they've got at the skill positions, wide receiver, running back, Spencer Rattler throwing the football, the H-back room is loaded. I think really the only thing that's kind of standing in the OU's way of having that elite offense that we're so accustomed to seeing year in and year out is that offensive tackle position. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Swinson coming back is nice, uh, I guess, as far as depth. But I do think that that's an area that the coaching staff is looking to address. And uh, we've heard we've heard a name from Tennessee um, emerge as maybe a potential target. Um, a guy that uh, I guess his name is pronounced Juan Ye and not Juan Ya, but uh, I'm looking forward to all the autocorrects making that Wanda, and uh, hopefully we can get him <laughs> because uh, he's not just a, a, a five star that has not really panned out as much on the field. I mean, he was named preseason All SEC first team uh, in a lot of publications this year, and um, really has some talent. So I think he's a guy that could potentially just jump right in. I'm not sure if OU has enough money 
to get him to come on <laughs> campus so with obviously looking at some of the recruiting violations going on around the SEC, obviously LSU, Tennessee's now under fire. Dan Patrick came out today. It kind of sounds like Georgia's going to be up next uh, in terms of recruiting violations. But no, if, if OU can get that guy on campus, he steps in day one, uh, not just competes for a starting job, but I, I like I said, I, I think if you're able to lock him up, let him be that left tackle, slide Anton Harrison over to the right tackle position. That's kind of his more natural position. Throw in both tackles returning, and then you're going to be breaking in a brand new center. Um, I can't believe it's taking this long for us to talk about it, but losing Creed Humphrey to the NFL, I think OU is going to be okay at the center position because you're going to be able to slide Chris Murray, the UCLA transfer from a year ago, over to that center position. So if OU can make a splash at the tackle position in the portal, uh, I think that that sets up really well because they do have some depth uh, to go in behind that. And next up for me, I'm kind of going back and forth with this running back. I think OU needs another body just because we know um, how how easy it is. OU fans have, you know, we've seen it happen the last couple of years where, you know, you lose two running backs in a single game, you know, injuries that are out for an extended amount of time. But having Kennedy Brooks back, uh, Marcus Major, we saw him flash in the in the uh, Cotton Bowl. Seth McGowan, give him another year. A spring ball, I think, could do tremendous things for him. And then give Mikey Henderson some carries. Like, whatever it takes to put the ball in his hands, I really liked what I saw out of that true freshman this year. But I think OU needs to go grab a guy in the running back room, provide some more depth, uh, uh, another guy that maybe you know could catch the ball out of the backfield, maybe a change of pace, speedster type of guy. Uh, but I think running back is probably the next one where OU needs to go find a guy. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think Mikey Henderson is the guy that's going to be a full-time running back, more of like a Swiss Army knife type of role. But I do think uh, another body is really needed at that position where guys tend to get beat up quite a bit. So um, probably wouldn't look for any type of you know starter or game changer, but someone that just can fill in if needed. It's it's got to be interesting, not just recruiting the running back position at a high school, but also trying to find a guy to want to come in, uh, transfer into Norman. But it just kind of seems to me like you're you're entering a day in college football where a running back may not want to go to a school where he's not going to be the feature guy like a Najee Harris, where he's going to get 25 to 30 total touches a game. You know, Lincoln Riley, whether it's been um, I've per- perfect example. When you've got a two-headed monster like Joe Mixon and Samaje Pirine, you know you're not going to have one guy that's getting 25, 30 carries a game. You're going to be spreading the wealth, riding the hot hand. So I wonder if we're kind of entering uh, a time period where the running back recruiting is going to be a little bit tougher because you're going to be competing with all these other schools um, for for you know the you know the true bell cow of that room in terms of trying to find a running back to come in. Uh, and, you know, absorb all that workload. So, Adam, is there any other position um, on both sides of football that you think OU needs to go in and try to find a guy? Is it at safety? Is it at wide receiver since we lost, you know, Charleston Rambo? I think at wide receiver, I think you don't take another one. You've got so many talented guys in that locker room, and uh, and especially in tight ends as well. So I don't really know that adding another wide receiver really makes a lot of sense. Uh, Everybody that you have on campus already should be able to do the job. From a defensive back perspective, obviously the early departure of Trey Norwood's probably a surprise to the coaches. There's been some rumors floating out there about maybe someone like Buki potentially moving on as well. That hasn't really uh, taken much legs at this point, but I think maybe another defensive back, someone that can play that nickel or maybe uh, one of the safety positions is potentially an area of need. 
uh, because you looked at going into this uh, this upcoming year in 2021, you thought, okay, Trey Norwood's going to play, Justin Harrington's going to take over for uh, one of these roles, and, and Pat Fields is probably going to take more of a backup role. Um, and now it looks like Pat Fields really is solidly in a starter position. And um, he's, you know, he played better as the season went on last uh, in this 2020 season, but he got his first interception ever in the Big 12 championship game against Iowa State. And that's that's kind of disappointing for someone that's played so much on a team where we get passed on a, a lot because we're usually in the lead. And the first time he ever gets an interception is against Iowa State in the second to last game of his junior year. So you would like to have a little bit more production, a little bit more impact out of that role. So maybe there is someone out there on the transfer market that we can try to identify and find. But um, as of right now, I'm not sure who that would be. I I think that OU needs to go find uh, another defensive back. What position that guy's going to play, I'm not sure. I think that OU right now, depth-wise, I think that they're going to be set at the cornerback position. Obviously, you look at a three-man rotation of Woody Washington, DJ Graham, Jaden Davis. Maybe you're in a situation where you slide Jaden Davis over to that nickelback position. He's a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical, but then you throw in a guy in Justin Harrington, who many people prior to the start of this year thought that he was going to be a guy that was going to come in and take somebody's job. So uh, throwing him back into the mix, Pat Fields, DTY, Bryson Washington. I know that uh, Alex Grinch a lot of, and, and company were extremely high on this kid. Again, because of COVID not having a spring football, not getting a regular full offseason, I think that that hindered some of the play of the freshmen this year. But like I said, if you can go get another guy that can kind of you know add to the depth, you know, kind of fall into that rotation. And we haven't even talked about it, dude. The incoming freshman, Latrell McCutcheon, um, who was a guy that OU stole from Bama. He was a former, you know, I, I think he was almost a five-star prior to the prior to his injury. He had a tremendous senior campaign in high school. So I, I think that OU needs to go find a defensive back. Um, I don't think that it's, you know, it's crucial just because they do have some really good depth uh, on this football team right now. Um, but defensive back would be one that I would uh, expect OU to kind of make a splash in. Adam, kind of one more thing before we transition over into the uh, uh, talk a little bit of NFL as it pertains to OU players entering the draft. Talk a little Baker Mayfield uh, leading the Browns in the playoffs this weekend for the first time in 18 years. Suck at Colin Cowherd. Um, what's a position group, Adam, that needs to make the biggest jump for OU to win a national title in 2021? Again, I know we're eight months away. There's going to be a lot of new faces, uh, whether it's transfer portal or in the recruiting class coming in. But what's a position group that you think OU needs uh, them to make the biggest jump for 2021? For me, it's the offensive line. And that's kind of <laughs> duh, I guess. Any team that has a great offensive line is going to do big things. But um, I would say overall this year, the offensive line was fairly disappointing, especially considering all the players that they had that came back from – uh, 2019, and they really struggled throughout a, a ton of the year, which wasn't a, a great recipe with a young quarterback and um, some running backs that were backups earlier in the year. But if they can really gel and and be as you know up to their standard and what they have the capability to be, and in this upcoming season, I think that is really going to show and and make this team in 2021 a true championship contender. I like that. I went a little bit more unconventional, probably not something that, that OU fans would think about. For me, I, I think it's the wide receiver position. I think they're, I think that's a group that needs to kind of get back to what we saw from from that room here at OU in the 20, 2017, 18, even 19 as a fact. When you look when you look at the last two last two teams, 
um, that, that are going to win a national championship. And we'll, we'll even throw in, you know, this year. Last year, LSU, Justin Jefferson, first-round pick, probably going to win Rookie of the Year at the rece- as a receiver. Jamar Chase, he's going to be a top-five pick this year. Look at the Alabama team this year. Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, those are big play guys. It seems like every time they touch the football and throw in Ohio State, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, two guys that are going to be playing on Sundays uh, here, here pretty soon. It seemed like in the, the it seemed like this year OU missed out on the big explosive plays uh, for, from the wide receiver position. We did see a little bit of it from Theo Weiss. There was a you know the occasional deep ball to to Charleston Rambo, but when you see what what this OU offense has done in years past, 2017 with Baker, 2018 with Kyler, when you had the guys like D.D. Westbrook, uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown, uh, uh, C.D. Lamb. Guys that as soon as they catch the football, they could take it 80 yards to the house if they if if possible. So I think that this is a year going into 2021. Give Spencer Rattler and his guys another offseason to to get in there, build that chemistry. Look at a guy like Trajan Bridges, Theo Wees, Jaden Hazelwood. I want to see those guys take another step. Uh, not not just be possession receivers, but also catch a five yard screen pass and take it 70 yards to the house. I think that that's going to be critical for OU. Um, especially like we've seen with the defense progress for the last couple of years. If OU's offense can get back to what it was in 2017, 2018 with the big plays at the wide receiver position, I I, I, I don't see anybody beating OU in 2021 if OU can return uh, to, to that level that they were getting from Baker and Kyler uh, and, and those receivers here in Norman. Yeah, I, I agree. And there's so much talent in the wide receiver room that – Look at who's coming they, in in the recruiting yeah. class. We didn't even touch on that. Yeah, I mean Mario Williams, uh, he's got some dynamic speed and and moves in the open field, so I'm sure he'll get some playing time, but um but yeah, there's uh, I think the wide receivers were a little bit underwhelming this year other than Marvin Mims and some of that was on offensive line, some of that was on Spencer Radler developing early in the year, but a lot of it was on them for for dropping it and uh, and not making plays after the catch as well, but I think all the talent's there, and I think it will come together for them uh, going into 2021. We talked about it throughout the first part of this podcast. Obviously, Ramondre Stevenson, Ronnie Perkins, uh, what's what it looks like, Trey Norwood, Adrian Ely, they're all de- they're all going to declare or have declared for the NFL draft. And that kind of got us thinking, Adam, about some of the early entries uh, for the NFL draft. Guys that have declared early, could sh- probably looking back at it, should have stayed for at least another year, spent some more time in Norman, putting film together, uh, growing as a player. But we just kind of got to thinking about, you know, who are some of the, what are some of the craziest early entries in OU football history? Guys that probably should have stayed and come back for another year at OU. So is there anybody kind of off the top of your head? I'm going to defer to you on this one because really there's only maybe one or two that I can think right off the top of my head. Um, so just run with it, man. Yeah, there was really two that I was thinking of, and it was Trey Norwood's decision to go pro that really was a head scratcher for me that that made me think of these two guys. Uh, and they're fairly recent, the first being Charles Walker. Uh, he left after the 2015 season. He had six sacks that year. Good, not super impressive. Uh, and he's later come out and said that you know he had some concussions and he is kind of faced with the choice of continue at OU and maybe get a concussion or go pro and, and do what you can while you while you can still play. And um, he, he ended up going pro and I, I did some research on it. Couldn't find him ever really sticking with a team or, or playing any games in the league. So um, I hope he's doing well somewhere. Um, I don't know if that was the right call, but 
uh, hope he's hope he's found some success doing something. Uh, but that was a real head scratcher because it really felt like he was about to take off the following season and uh, probably put up some numbers if he was able to stay healthy and, and really put himself in the NFL there. But uh, the second guy, a little bit later down the road, Devontae Lampkin, a uh, strange recruiting story where he uh, ended up with Texas but then didn't have the right classes or something and somehow ended up uh, going to OU, who was his second choice originally. So we were pretty pumped to get him on campus in Norman and – uh, he really only played two years. He redshirted and then played two seasons. And it wasn't until his redshirt sophomore season that um, he had he had a pretty big sack in 2017 against TCU, where he uh, he grabbed the quarterback by the jersey and just ripped him down. And uh, there was a lot of hype for him going into the 2018 season, and thought, man, maybe this is the guy that's going to be a difference maker on the D line. And we really needed that at the time. We were going through some pretty bad defenses with uh, with our old friend Mike Stoops, but uh, he also went pro right after that season. Uh, he never played a game in the NFL, and uh, the last I saw, uh, he is – I don't know if this is accurate because of COVID or, or what, but he played for a team called the Massachusetts Pirates of the Indoor Football League in Worcester, Ooh. Massachusetts. So, um, man, he kind of feels <laughs> – he kind of feels similar to a Perion Winfrey in in some capacities. Um, I really felt like if he was stuck around another year, he would be he would at least have like a Stacy McGee type of career in the NFL, where he's been around for multiple years. But um, hope hope Devontae is doing well, um, and maybe we'll have a chance to continue playing uh, somewhere in Massachusetts as well. There's really not much more I can add to this topic because Devontae Lampkin was the guy that, that I thought of. Obviously, you know, you, you, you knocked it out of the park. Odd recruiting story. Oh, you got him from Texas. I thought that he played he played pretty well the one year that he got on the field here at OU and everybody thought about, you know, wow, you know, we're, we're going to have this guy coming back. He's going to be able to help us on the interior D-line. Line, D line has a chance to be, you know, an all-conference type of guy, maybe even fight for an All-American award. Uh, to type position, but you know he makes the decision to declare for the NFL draft. And um, Adam, I can I can remember I, I think it was two years ago when we were at the Big Twelve Championship game. Maybe it was three years ago. We were at the Big Twelve Championship game watching OU uh, win another conference championship, and you know two or three rows down over a section, there was Devontae Lampkin in the stands watching it. So um, again, he he wasn't drafted. I think he was on a I think he was on a uh, practice roster. Uh, for a brief amount of time, but obviously, like you said, he's in the arena, indoor arena football league. Ho- hopefully, he can, you know, continue to grow, continue to, you know, c- compete, and hopefully, he can find his way on an NFL roster uh, one day. So, uh, well, Adam, let's kind of kind of wrap it up with the NFL here. You know, obviously, we talked about you know the the success that OU's had uh, at the NFL level, especially at the quarterback position. I thought Jalen Hurts came on and played really well to kind of close out the year. Uh, Kyler Murray, you know, kind of got banged up a little bit. It was kind of a kind of an up and down year for him up in Arizona, but I thought he played well. And dude, Baker Mayfield, man, the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs for the first time in almost two decades, and uh, it's going to be a big mountain to climb on Sunday uh, against the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger, I think he's like twenty four. I think he's twenty four and two in his career against the Browns, and obviously the Browns are going to be without their head coach on Sunday. Uh, but just kind of talking about this, man, you know, Baker expectations coming out of coming out of college you know first first you know first overall pick in the draft Heisman trophy winner you've got guys like Colin Cowherd that take you know any chance they can to rip on the guy they're going to just kind of what are your thoughts on Baker man like how how close is Baker 
to to being the best quarterback, you know, maybe not in not just in that division, but maybe the best quarterback of the entire 2018 quarterback class. He's getting close and he's had an interesting career arc so far because his rookie season in 2018, he breathed what felt like fresh uh, fresh air into uh, that organization in Cleveland. And then 2019, it was a little bit too high of expectations and, and the Odell effect. And and then this year, they've he's really come on, especially once Odell went down. Uh, and he he's looked like one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the NFL this year. And so just looking back at that draft, because there was so much talk going into it about all the different options that people could pick and who was going to go first and who was going to have the best career. And a lot of people thought, oh, it's going to be Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen has, I think he's on his third team in three years now. Uh, He's now with the 49ers. He does not look like the type of guy that is going anywhere in the NFL. And then Sam Darnold, pretty much everyone's looking at that thinking that they're going to go with Justin Fields most likely. So I don't know um, that he's can really call it much of a success. Uh, Josh Allen, a guy that I like to kind of dog on for being just the big strong arm guy that wasn't very accurate with the ball. He's turned out to be really good. So I, I think you could say Josh Allen so far is doing better than Baker Mayfield, although uh, the bills had a lot more to work with uh, there. And then going down the line, Lamar Jackson has been really, really incredible uh, with the Ravens. This year's been a little bit odd, so we'll see what happens in the long run. But I think so far, you still have to put Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson ahead of Baker Mayfield at this moment. Yeah, I've got Baker um, firmly planted right there at number three. Uh, I mean, he he was the number one overall pick. There probably wasn't a better quarterback in that class to kind of elevate the Browns to to what they are now, simply because of the personality he has. You know, kind of yeah. the the guy that always plays with the chip on his shoulder. You know, it's going to be him against the world. He wants the pressure. He wants the ball. Uh, but I, I think that he is probably the third best quarterback in that class right now. Obviously, Lamar Jackson, what he's doing with the Ravens, you know, winning an MVP in just his second year. Um, he, he's, you know, he, he's he's been playing fantastic football. Josh Allen, probably probably a top three or four candidate right now for for NFL MVP. He's had a tremendous year. I, I think that the the Bills are are in prime position to make a really uh, honestly, a pretty good chance, a uh, pretty good run at the Super Bowl this year. We'll see what they can do uh, as they as they move further into the playoffs. But I like what the Bills are doing with that franchise and what Josh Allen is doing right now. But um, I, I think the Baker's in a really good position. I honestly leading the Browns to the to the playoffs for the first time in two decades. I think that that's an achievement on its own. Even if he doesn't win this win the game this weekend, it's not going to be because he had his hat on backwards in his press conference earlier in the week. Um, <laughs> But I, I, you can't say enough about, about what that guy's done coming in, changing that franchise up, changing the culture for that Browns team in the city of Cleveland is something that we haven't seen quarterbacks been able to do for, you know, probably, what, 20, 30 years consistently. So um, huge shout-out to Baker. I, thought, I think he's been tremendous this year. Really excited to watch him Sunday night, see if he can get the Browns, not just to the playoffs, but see if they can get that first win in the playoffs when they take on the Steelers this weekend. So, um, Adam – Kind of a couple different things here. I thought you came up with some really good topics here for kind of, I guess, kind of a betting segment that we'll do here. Um, I haven't had a chance to tally it up. I actually, I kind of have, but I don't want to share right now. But you, you kind of kicked kicked my tail this year in, in terms of the betting cards. So we'll kind of let it be at that. We'll kind of see 
uh, see if I can kind of, you know, jump back on top, get my revenge in 2021. But uh, a couple different things here that you've got. Whose conference championship streak ends first between Oklahoma, Clemson, or Ohio State? Go ahead and lead off with that, dude. I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah, it's interesting because you've got a couple different dynasties in these particular conferences going on where it seems like it's these teams and almost nobody can beat them. And Ohio State doesn't have six in a row like OU and Clemson. They've only got four. So a little bit different there. But, I mean, pretty much nobody from the West Division has ever won the Big Ten. I think there there's maybe some times where it's leaders and legends, but we don't really think about that era <laughs> at all in the Big Ten. So it's really been Ohio State and nobody else there. So just, you know, putting some thought into it. I mean, from a Big 12 perspective, Iowa State looks decent, but they're never going to have the talent level that OU has. And I think Matt Campbell will be gone before too long uh, at Iowa State. I'm actually surprised he's been there as long as he has uh, thus far. Oklahoma State really doesn't look like, you know, they have the mentality which stems from their coach in order to beat OU at this point, and they'd really have to do it twice anyway. So really it comes down to can TCU get the talent? I don't know. Gary Patterson's career has been interesting the last couple of years, to put it nicely. Uh, And then it's really, okay, well, can Texas do it? Uh, with Sarkeesian, and we'll talk about him in a minute, but um, I'm not not convinced that uh, Texas can beat OU twice in the same year either. So OU looks in great shape. Clemson, same situation in the ACC. Uh, Florida State looks a lot like uh, probably worse than what Texas is in, in shape-wise right now, and there's no telling when that's ever going to turn around. Virginia Tech has some coaching issues as well. Miami, I don't know if I'm supposed to take them seriously or not because I've been through the <laughs> song and dance. Uh, so really it's like, okay, UNC, um, you're the best chance that the ACC has of unlodging them. Uh, and then Ohio State, we've talked about them a little bit as well where it seems like no one can really get on their level. So if I was going to have to pick one of those three teams, I think I would have to go with Clemson just because if UNC is the best chance, I like those odds. Well, great, great minds think alike because I'm going to go with Clemson too, simply because of the fact that starting with Ohio State, I know that after this year they they are going to be breaking in a brand new quarterback, a lot of new skill guys. They're going to have to reload on defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear it time and time again. But as good as Ohio State's going to be from a talent standpoint, I just simply don't trust any of the other teams in the Big Ten to to be able to beat Ohio State. You know, some of them probably are going to have to beat them twice uh, to to win the Big Ten championship. So uh, I think that Ohio State, they're too talented. The Big Ten, they're they're not on the same level um, schematically or from a talent perspective. So I think the Buckeyes are safe in this discussion. For OU and Clemson, I can kind of go one one of two ways. I think Clemson's about to enter into the same situation that OU found themselves in this year. They are going to lose their starting quarterback. They are going to lose. You know their their best running back. A couple of their receivers are going to go to the NF or go to the NFL, and they're going to have to replace some key uh, key talent on the defensive side of the football. So they're going to be going into a year where you're going to have DJ as you know as the new quarterback. You're going to have uh, new skill players. Dabo Swinney, he's going to have to do kind of the same. Uh, coaching job that Lincoln did this year, where you're going to be breaking in some new faces. A lot of guys are going to be, you know, experiencing some things that they haven't in, in college football. So, um, I, I think that Clemson's probably in the in this in this driver's seat for this thing, just simply because Miami's going to be good next year. I think. I think. Are they the Texas of the ACC? Are they going to be back? 
Sam Howell moving in, into his third year with Mac Brown. I know that North Carolina is going to lose their two best running backs in the NFL, but you know Sam Howell, he's going to be returning. I like what the, what Mac's building up there uh, at, at North Carolina. They are going to get Clemson at home this year, so that always bodes well when you can get a uh, when you can get the favorite on your home field. I got to go with Clemson simply because of the fact that I don't see anybody challenging OSU or Oklahoma for that fact. You know, coming into this year, we thought if anybody was going to take down OU, this was the year that OU was the most gettable. And going into next year, I, I, I think that as good, it does seem like the Big 12 is improving uh, all the teams from top to bottom, with the exception of maybe Texas Tech and Kansas. Uh, but I think OU is going to be in a really good position, not just next year, but maybe in the next two, three, four years when you see how they've been recruiting, when you have Caleb Williams, the number one quarterback in the country, coming in to fill the shoes of Spencer Rattler whenever he sees fit to, to enter the draft and uh, you know maybe even be another number one pick. So give me Clemson with this just simply because of the fact I don't see anybody in the Big Ten challenging OSU, and I don't see anybody beating OU twice in the same year uh, for the next couple. So uh, we're, we're in agreements, I'm, man. Clemson. Yeah, I'm, I'm realizing now I answered that question in reverse. I, I answered in, I think Clemson Clemson's championship streak will last the longest simply because I don't like their competition in the ACC. I guess if I was going to flip it the other way, um, I don't know. I feel like Ohio State probably. They have the lowest. Uh, they have the lowest uh, streak right now at just four. I don't like the fact that you know Michigan's not very good, but at least Penn State in theory is decent. And now Wisconsin has a quarterback. Hey, Harbaugh's back, baby. <laughs> He's back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then of course uh, my obligatory Michigan State um, reference. I don't think that they can beat Ohio State, but I got to mention them. You're gonna pay for that later. <laughs> no I, I i'm completely in agreement with you on that i, I think that that was a good one let's uh, kind of transition over here uh to what's happening down in austin you know waking up on what was it saturday or sunday morning when when that you know that uh that news dropped i guess onwar richardson was the first one to to report it but you know texas fired tom herman we thought that that was going to happen a little bit earlier in the year um but it didn't look like they were they had any uh had any uh, push in terms of the Urban Meyer hire kind of seems like he turned them down, doesn't want to be part uh, of the culture in that dumpster fire that's down in Austin, Texas right now. But firing Tom Herman, man, and uh, hiring Steve Sarkeesian. Sark was a guy that he probably wasn't on my short list of guys that I thought that Texas would go after, but it kind of seems to me, Adam, like uh, Texas and Chris Connie, the athletic director, kind of seems like they're trying to follow the Oklahoma model a little bit, trying to find a, a young up and coming, you know, offensive coordinator. That's really good. Uh, you know, drawing up plays, he gets the most out of his talent and seeing what Steve Sarkeesian did with Alabama the last couple of years, especially in 2020 with Mac Jones, with Najee Harris, Devonte Smith um, kind of seems like the folks down in Austin are trying to take a page out of Joe Castiglione's playbook uh, by bringing in a uh, predominantly offensive minded head coach. Uh, in Steve Sarkeesian. Possibly, although I don't really think much of this was Del Conte's doing. I think it's the big money donors that control everything down there at Texas. But when I saw that news, uh, you know, pop up on my Twitter feed, my reaction was really like, huh, okay. I mean, it's it's not the it's not the sexiest hire. Like it's it's it doesn't get you on the edge no. of your seat like an Urban Meyer does. But I mean, it's not it's not a bad hire. It's just kind of like, okay, at this point, you got to prove it on the field. Like, I'm not going to get all on board for 
well, if I was a Texas fan, I wouldn't get all on board for this. And as an OU fan, I'm not scared of that. There's really, you could hire Urban Meyer. I wouldn't have been scared. Probably would even up the series quite a bit, but I mean, it's still Texas at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And Sarkeesian has done really well at Alabama. He wasn't that great at uh, the Atlanta Falcons and he wasn't that great as a head coach at USC in Washington. So we'll see which version of him we get. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it, it, it's not something that, that you know, kind of drove OU fans crazy or make them think, you know, oh, crap, what are, what are we going to do? Texas is going to be back. But I think Texas, they did show some good things in the uh, in the Alamo Bowl. Um, I mean, I know it was Colorado who only had, you know, less than 50 players, uh, play, 50 scholarship players playing in that game. BJ Ro- or B. John Robinson, uh, he's a freak. I think he's going to be an ex- outstanding All-American type football player. Casey Thompson. Honestly, it kind of made it seem like Sam Ellinger might have been holding Texas back on offense, but um, I think that there's there, there's going to be some high expectations down in Austin after seeing that that performance from that tandem. But uh, Steve Sarkeesian, he's got his work cut out for him because you don't have Mac Jones or Tua throwing the football. You're not going to have Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith uh, catching it, and you know as good as B. John Robinson is. I don't know if uh, I don't know if he's quite on the same levels we saw from Najee Harris this year. So uh, it's definitely going to be uh, definitely going to be fun to follow. Sad to see Tom Herman leave. Uh, he provided a lot of really entertaining content for OU fans over the last four or five years. Uh, but we certainly wish the best to him and Michelle uh, in their future endeavors. So uh, hate to see somebody get fired, but knowing he's going to get fifteen million dollars to simply not coach football, um, I'll, hey, I'll I'll take not that. Bad. So not not too I, I shabby, but. Yeah, we do got to relate this to the betting. Uh, over or under on the year, <laughs> eight and a half wins in his first season. Ugh. And I will, I will mention there. You know, notable games on their schedule. They play at Arkansas in week two. They're at TCU. They're at Iowa State. They're at West Virginia, and they play OU in the Cotton Bowl, of course. So uh, I kind of went back and forth on this, but I do think the Big Twelve as a whole. I think pretty much every team except for Kansas and probably Oklahoma State is going to get better. Uh, going into 2021 so i'm gonna take the under on that uh you yes. know he is he he is losing you know the offensive tackle sam cosme that uh, is a pretty big piece for them and then uh, joseph osai their best defensive player i think he's actually going to be able to use Bijan uh, a little bit better than tom herman did and i think casey thompson may end up being a better quarterback than uh than we saw uh from from what they had this year but uh Overall, I think it's just going to be tough with all those games on the road and playing OU in a neutral site uh, and getting familiarized in Austin. So I'm going to take the under on that. Just under, I'll probably take eight wins. At Arkansas, at Iowa State, at TCU, all three of those are easily losable games. One team that you that, that you didn't point out was Baylor, and I, I love what mm-hmm. Dave Aranda is building down in Waco right now. Obviously, it's gonna it's gonna rely on what they do at the quarterback position. Charlie Brewer's not there anymore, but Dave Aranda is gonna get that Bear defense. You know, I, I, obviously he's not gonna have the same caliber of athletes as what he had up in Baton Rouge, but um, th- they played OU extremely well. Probably the best defensive performance against this Oklahoma offense for 2020 was Baylor here in Norman. So uh, you factor in a trip down to Fayetteville against Arkansas, Sam Pittman moving into his second year as the head coach. Louisiana, man, don't sleep on that. I know it's going to be played in Austin, but what Billy Napier has done at Louisiana, I'm kind of surprised he decided to stay uh, down in Lafayette, but uh, he he was kind of pegged for for a power five job, uh, which I guess still could happen, but, um, you know, 
Tennessee. <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody wants to go coach Tennessee right now with uh, nope. with all the different things that are going on. But um, I see them as maybe a seven and five, eight and four type team. I don't think they beat Oklahoma. I think they lose. If you made me pick it, I think they're going to lose at Iowa State. I think they're going to lose at TCU. Um, maybe they lose against Arkansas just simply because of the fact that it is early in the year. They're still going to be kind of playing around with some things, installing some new systems uh, on both sides of the football. Um, Kansas State's not even a guarantee win because they're going to get Skylar Thompson back. Chris Klein is a fantastic football coach. Um, maybe Oklahoma, hopefully we can figure out how to beat Chris Kleiman because uh, he's been a thorn in OU side for the ever since he's got up, up to Manhattan. So I'm going to take the under in this also. So give me eight and four, seven and five. Obviously that could change as we get closer. Um, but I don't think that uh, – I think Texas fans better prepare yourself because you're not just going to get somebody that's going to come in and immediately win you 10, 11 games uh, and, and you know, compete for a Big 12 championship. So we'll see, though. That, that's what makes it fun. Uh, for guys like us to talk about it and uh, kind of project what we're going to see for the 2021 season. So, Adam, let's finish it up here. College Football National Championship on Monday night, Alabama, Ohio State. A game that I did not think we were going to be getting prior to the Bulls being announced, just simply because of the fact that I didn't think Ohio State deserved to be there. And then once it was uh, announced that they were going to be playing Clemson, I thought Clemson would be able to beat them. And boy, was I wrong, man. So, uh, I think we're gonna we're in, we're in store for a tr- fantastic national championship game. So Alabama favored by uh, Alabama favored minus eight total on this game is set over under seventy five. Uh, just start with the spread, man. We'll we'll go ahead and do both of these. What do you like in the spread on this game? Yeah, this was really tough. I mean, I really expected Clemson to beat Ohio State as well. So I feel like everything that I had thought about Ohio State is wrong. So I want to second guess all that, but the fact that Ohio State still hasn't provided a huge sample size, I don't know if that was them coming into peak form against Clemson or if it was just a one-game blip or or what it is, and then couple in the fact that Ohio State is dealing with some COVID issues. They may not have everybody available, and the game now is 100% on for Monday night. Uh, I I like Alabama to cover that spread. I just think that they have too many weapons on – on offense to be denied at that point. So give me Bama to cover the eight. I put money on Clemson to cover against Ohio state a week ago. And that was a, that was an easy loss kind of right off the bat, seeing what Justin Fields did. But as much as I want to talk myself in to picking Ohio state to, I don't think they're going to win this game, but to, to stay within a touchdown in a game that I think is going to be high scoring I, I kind of have to backtrack a little bit and remind myself that Alabama has been the best team in college football all year long. And you give Nick Saban two weeks to prepare. I know that Justin Fields is playing well. Trey Sermon's probably the hottest player in America right now. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, they've got the skill talent to, to, to give this Alabama secondary fits. But even though Ohio state does have the talent on the offensive side of the football, I don't see Ohio state being able to stop Mac Jones and Najee Harris. Um, so I, I, again, I, I think that this will be a game that, um, I think that we'll, I'll probably be in fear of a backdoor cover late in the fourth quarter, but if you give me eight, eight points right now, I'll, I'll go ahead and take Alabama to cover the spread in this one. So Alabama minus eight, we're in agreements with that. So, uh, you want to go first on the, on the total or you want me to, you, uh, you go first. I think we'll have the same one though. I'm not sure, man. Uh, 
over under 75. That's that's what six touchdowns a piece, or five five yeah five five touchdowns a piece. Someone getting six. I I trust I trust Alabama. I think Alabama gets forty easily. I know that Ohio State they do have the talent on defense to be able to maybe slow them down, but I think Alabama is going to be able to score at will in this game. So if Alabama can get forty to fifty. That means I only need two, maybe th- or maybe three, four touchdowns out of, out of uh, uh, Justin Fields in Ohio State. The thing that worries me, Adam, about this game is we saw Ohio State play all year long, and they struggled um, on, on both sides of the football. They weren't consistent passing, throwing, or defending uh, uh, teams that they played. Obviously, we know that Indiana put up a ton of points on them, uh, and they couldn't even move the football on Northwestern. So, I think in this game, it comes down to what Ohio State team shows up. Is it going to be the team that we saw in Big Ten Conference play, or is it going to be the team that we saw against Clemson? Is that is that the true Ohio State team that we saw against Clemson, or was it just the perfect storm that caught Clemson on the right day? Um, you, you never feel good betting the under, but... I'm betting the over, so I'll take I'll I'll take the, I'll take the over on this one. I 75. If both teams jump out and it's like a 14-14 game, like what we saw against Clemson, yeah, I, I think it's a safe cover uh, on the over. So what the hell? Give me over 75 and Alabama to cover eight. Yeah, I'm taking the uh, over as well. Even when Ohio State was, you know, had their closest game in the regular season against Indiana, they were still over the uh, the 75. So. I think it's uh, there's too many playmakers on offense for both teams to not hit that over, in my opinion. Yeah, we're we're in agreement with that. Very rare this year were we in agreement as far as our picks goes, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we're right in this one. So, it, it, honestly, Adam, it, is there a team that you're rooting for in this game, or are you just going to be watching as a fan, hoping we get a fantastic, uh, fantastic college football game? I really don't like either of these teams uh, very much <laughs> at all. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see how I feel in, in the moment on Monday night. Yeah, I think I'm just going to roll with it. Alabama wins. I mean, there's the SEC narrative. You're going to have the Kentuckys, the Mississippi States, the A&Ms, Chan, the SEC. Keep riding those coattails, guys. And obviously, Ohio State, I just I don't like the Buckeyes. Never have. I mean, I, I think Ryan Day's a, I think he's a fantastic coach, but I've always kind of had a sour taste in my mouth. Maybe it's because of the, the rivalry between Baker and them. But uh, uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be a fantastic game regardless. So it's going to be fun to just kind of sit back, put your feet up, and watch the final college football game that we're going to have for, what, seven months. So I'm excited about it. So, Adam, anything else before we get out of here, dude? That's all I have. Let's uh, Let's make a championship run this year. I uh, can't wait. And like I said, just because it's the off season, we, uh, it, we're still going to find a lot of really good things to talk about. There's going to be some fun topics. Uh, have a few guests this upcoming summer, but like I said, just cause it's the off season, we're not going to stop talking OU football, college football, and all the major storylines happening around the, around the world right now, uh, in, in sports. So again, appreciate you guys always for listening, uh, right here at the mainline podcast, give us a follow at the mainline pod one, uh, follow, subscribe, like rate review, I love hearing from you guys and always appreciate the feedback. So until next time, appreciate you guys for joining us. Uh, Tyler Burton, Adam Jacquez signing off once again from another episode of the Mainline Podcast.